Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 1st. If someone challenges something you are doing that seems to you right and good, meet that challenge vigorously. Try never to hurt anyone, however. Be always calm in your heart. Remember, nothing and no one can touch who you really are in your inner self. This is a very interesting statement. If someone challenges something that you're doing that, that you feel is a good thing to do, Swami says, meet it vigorously. This is one of the themes throughout this, um, this book that we just sort of go in and out of, is the, the, the powerful need to be able to um, uh, de- determine what your values are and then just have the courage to really stand on them. And to recognize, I was in a conversation with someone quite recently about just not wanting people to be mad at me, someone said. I said, well, there's no point in antagonizing people unnecessarily, but if your primary value is that you don't want anybody to be mad at you, you will never be able to make a courageous decision. Because inevitably, courageous decisions are not, everybody is not going to agree with them. Many people in the world are are ruled by don't rock the boat, or many people are ruled, and this is a very fine line that you have to see, they're ruled by sentiment, not by principle. Swami would often talk about that, and Master also talked about it. Don't be ruled by sentiment, he said. So it's worth considering for just a moment. You know, for example, if we choose a path in life that is a departure from the path that we were raised in. I was raised in a Jewish family. Not um, We were not particularly religious, but I identified Jewish. We were culturally Jewish. I'm not quite sure exactly how you would say it. It means a certain something within that society that I lived in. It's just sort of who you are. And I I refer to it often because I I still actually have a strong identity that way, even after all these years at Ananda, and strangely, most recently reinforced, because I actually started, I actually visited Israel for the first time four years ago, and in the last year from when this is being recorded, I spent uh, more than a month in Israel, and that somehow brought all of those issues to the fore. But I'm really a self-realizationist. That's who I am, and I don't don't follow either the practices or the principles of Judaism, and I don't agree with a great many of the dogmas or anything like that. But there's a piece of me, you know, that's just still connected to it. So there would be a sentimental desire to sort of be part of that world. And it was what I, what I watched in myself in Israel, that there was just a kind of a pull to want to be part of that Jewish world. And I, I actually thought about the fact that if you're, if you're Jewish, you can get a passport in Israel. I would be welcomed in Israel. I could immigrate to Israel in the morning. There's no other country in the world that I could just go to and get a passport, become a citizen, just like that. But that's one place in the world where I would be welcomed. And all of these things, you know, sort of play on your feelings. There's nothing in me that wants to do that. Except I have, and I, the word I have to use is sentimental. I have the sentimental feeling about it. I'm not denigrating it. I have a tremendous respect for what's happening there and a greater appreciation than I 
ever did before, many, many fine qualities. But my emotional relation to it is sentimental. I mean, in principle, I have another work to do. I have another work to do. That's just all it is. But I can feel this sort of like, oh. And there was a point in my in my life with my family. I, I went to Ananda when I was 24, and I never looked back. And my parents, my parents at first, I think, thought it was a phase, and so they didn't have to say anything about it. But you know, the phase becomes a few years, then it becomes a decade, then it becomes two decades. And at a certain point, when Swami Kriyananda wrote the oratorio, which was this musical tribute to Christ, and he wrote it in the mid-80s, and it became an integral part of what we were doing for a few years, the, this, this reality. And my, uh, my parents suddenly discovered <laughs> that I'd become a Christian. If you're Jewish, you can become almost anything but a Christian. You can be a Buddhist, you know, you can be a Zoroastrian, you can be all kinds of things, but becoming a Christian becomes a little dicey. So they became uneasy for a period of time. And it's a very interesting conversation I had with my father at a certain point. I'd, I, was, I must have been like in my late 30s by then. <clears throat> and he was sort of proposing that they were going to oppose what I was doing. I said to him, first of all, I think it's a little late. You know, it's like I'm pretty well established in this by this point. And then I had fun with him. I mean, I had fun with him in a cheeky sort of way. I said, <clears throat> you raised me to think for myself, so I am. I would think that you would be proud of me. And it sort of stymied him because he had. You know, I was using his own logic against him and he didn't quite know where to go with it. <clears throat> I wasn't angry. I was perfectly calm in my heart, just exactly what Swami said. I was perfectly calm, but he was challenging me on what I knew was a good thing. And I just, I, I couldn't let him do it. And I finally then, very seriously, I said, don't ask me to choose. Because if you ask me to choose, I am not going to choose you. So please don't put me in that position. And he heard it. I mean, he knew, he knew that I meant that because he'd raised me to think for myself and he knew who I was. But I it was just very calm, I, but I was not going to give in. And this is what Swami's talking about. If you've made a decision, now, I wanted my parents to love me and I wanted my parents to love what I was doing. And I had no wish to be on the outs with them. It was, it was completely pointless to be on the outs with them. And God bless them, they also saw that it wasn't going to make any difference, so don't do it. And of course, sentiment, you know, sentiment wanted me to stay in the family fold and stay, you know, just in their good graces. But I knew what I was doing was right and good. And there was a principle involved. And the principle involved of, of my going forward in my life as I knew it was meant to be was far more important than trying to keep them from getting mad at me. And again, I was lucky because they didn't push it, but I was prepared. Just as simple as that, I was prepared. Master, in Autobiography of a Yogi, tells a story about, um, he was a disciple of Sri Yukteswar. Master was a disciple of Sri Yukteswar. Um, his father was a disciple, was a, a guru bhai of Sri Yukteswar, because both of them were disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. This is the self-realization lineage. Lahiri Mahashaya, Sri Yukteswar, Paramahansa Yogananda, whom I call Master. But for some reason, the father um, was 
certain rumors had gone around about Sri Yukteswar, and the father had had listened to some some gossip that was negative about Sri Yukteswar. And so the father was presenting to Master the, the, the rumors, the negative rumors. You know, maybe he's not what he appears. And if you think this doesn't happen to every single Master who lives, of course it happens. If you put out any energy toward the light, you can absolutely depend that someone will try to cast a shadow on you. Because this world is a mixture of light and darkness. This is not a world in which light gets to express itself without a shadow. So whenever there is a lot of light, there will always be a shadow. And whether that shadow comes at you and tries to stop you, or whether you watch it coming at others, depend on it. In fact, Peter Caddy, who was the uh, founder of the Findhorn community in Scotland, he's since passed away from this planet, the Findhorn community goes on. At a certain point, the, the community of Findhorn, we were, we were sisters of the same age, sister communities of the same age, sort of struggling to establish ourselves through the 60s and 70s. And Findhorn had managed, and we, we knew at Ananda how much effort it would take to gather sufficient funds, and they had built themselves a, a beautiful temple. And then it burned to the ground, and it was arson. It wasn't merely that it burned. Ananda's temple burned in 19... 71, which was pretty early, but it burned, but it was an accident. The Findhorn Temple burned in, I would probably was the 70s, but it was arson. Somebody came and burned it down. Peter Caddy was visiting at Ananda, and he and Kriyananda were talking to each other, and Swamiji expressed great sympathy. You know, I'm so sorry that your temple burned. And Peter, by that point, had recovered from it, and he laughed, and he said, oh, he said, if they're not trying to stop you, you're not working hard enough to do good. In other words, they, if, if you will, they will persecute you. This is what Jesus said. You know, if you live for me, you will be persecuted because light is always persecuted by darkness. So no matter how big or small your light is, if you're putting out light, something's going to try to stop you. If you're doing something that you know to be right and good, somebody's going to try to make you stop. And you have to be ready for that. Well, Sri Yukteswar, there was some rumor. I think Swami said something like, somebody saw Sri Yukteswar give a flower to a woman. I think that was actually what the rumor was, something like that. Maybe he did give a flower to a woman. What did that mean? You know, just shadow is terrible. What shadow will do with the most innocent things? So Master's father is talking to him, something, you know, just even hinting against Sri Yukteswar. Master pulls himself up like this, looks at his father and says, human birth is something, he said, but divine birth is everything. If you say one more word against my guru, I disown you as my father forever. Wow. And that was it. And of course, Master's father just retreated and never went there again. I didn't have to stand that strongly against my own father. But if somebody comes to you and you know what you're doing is right, don't, don't, don't just try to please them. It's very, very dangerous to try to please people. Because, you know, what are, what are the principles? What principle are they standing on? Even the principle of, I'm your father, you should listen to me. Which, yes, is a very strong principle, and in some cultures is a really strong principle. But India is certainly one of the cultures where it's the strongest of all. But Master knew what he was doing. Human birth is something. He respected that. 
but divine birth that I receive from my guru is everything. Don't make me choose, because I won't choose you. And if we're lucky, those choices never come. But in our hearts, we always have to be really ready for it. And, you know, there was another story that... uh, I, it's actually in my book called Swami Kriyananda, as we have known him. There was this, it, this story actually took place in India. There was a young man in India with a lot of spiritual promise. And Swami, he was, he was the only son of the family, though. And Swamiji really uh, encouraged him to come live in the ashram, to make his life with Ananda. And just, you know, not marry, not produce children, just all the things that the only son of an Indian family was expected to do. And his parents were even spiritual people. That's how Swami knew him. But still, Swami wanted him to come, or wanted him to come is not accurate. Um, felt it would be good for him to come and live in the ashram. So he encouraged him. And the boy said, but if I do that, my mother will be so disappointed. You know, she had this picture in her mind of how it was going to all unfold. And Swami said, sooner or later, we all have to disappoint our mothers. When I, when I actually published that, he modified it to say, we all have to be prepared to disappoint our mothers because he wanted to give at least some mothers the credit of being able to support the spiritual intentions of their children. But it's a very powerful statement. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to disappoint everyone in the name of the principles and the ideals we're, we're living for. But we don't have to do it angrily. We don't even have to argue with them. You know, there's a, uh, when some people have been new on the spiritual path of Ananda and are just more or less starting out, oftentimes negativity, oftentimes negativity comes to you very early. It doesn't necessarily wait until you're well established. Often you're barely established when the shadow force will come and try to stop you. And often it's your own family, your own best friends. I read this in the paper. I looked it up on the internet. These are the things that are being said. Your guru gave a flower to a woman. You know, whatever it might be, there it is they're trying to tell you. Reincarnation is crazy. You know, the doctors say these energization exercises, meditation is bad for you. And you know, you barely know what you're doing and everybody's trying to undermine you. Sri Yukteswar himself had a very good suggestion. He said, you know, fools argue, wise men discuss, he said. And so what he said was, what you should say is, perhaps you're right. (laughs) And I I love that phrase, perhaps you're right, because perhaps you are. But I'm not conceding that you're right. I'm just saying, well, perhaps you're right. And I've, I've strongly encouraged neophytes on the spiritual path who are challenged beyond their pay grade to defend and answer issues they don't know anything about. All you do is you just concede it. You say, well, that's very interesting. My, my experience so far is different, but I'll keep in mind what you say. Well, it's very good, you know, to have that information. I won't forget it. And, you know, perhaps you're right. We'll see, won't you? We're taking it one day at a time, aren't we? So you just stay calm in your heart. I mean, why do you need them to approve? If it's somebody who's very wise, not somebody you are habitually used to listening to, or that everybody in your family thinks you ought to, or all of society has told you that you must, that's really quite different than, uh, I really want, I really respect this person's point of view. And yeah, sometimes we just have to not do it. There's a, I mean, I'm 
sitting here talking about my own books, but there's another book that I wrote called Ask Asha, which is a series of questions. And this woman, uh, again from India, as it happened, wrote me a question and asked me something about, you know, my parents are forcing me to get married. I said, no, actually they're not forcing you to get married. I said, you're grown up, and I knew for a fact you have your own passport. You know, you're above, you're, you're, above, you're legally independent. All of these things are true, but it will be very inconvenient for you if you defy your parents. Now to say it will be inconvenient if I don't go along with my parents is different than saying I have to go along with my parents. And that's the distinction you need to keep in your heart. This is the difference between sentiment and coercion and wanting to please everybody and not wanting people to be mad at me and being able to stand on principle. I, I conceded, yes, it would be very inconvenient. You have a very nice situation. You live in your parents' house. They take care of you. You're harmonious. Yeah, you're going to torpedo a great deal of that if you refuse to go along with it. But, but call it what it is. You know, I don't have the courage to resist. I don't have the courage to stand alone against my whole family. And I sympathize with that. But don't tell me that you have to, because you don't have to, regardless. And this is, this is what we need to sort of build up within ourselves, the difference between a sentimental desire to cooperate, a fearful need not to have people angry at us, and the courageous willingness to say, to say this is what I, who I am, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I was saying, I was discussing earlier with someone who's trying to make a career decision, actually, is what they were working with, and they were afraid that these people would be upset if they made that career decision. I said, well, you'll never be able to do a courageous thing in your life. You'll just always having to be take the meekest position because the chances of your being able to move through life with any energy and originality and never ruffle anybody's feathers seems extremely remote to me. So you might as well start now where there's not that much at stake and just stand in it. But be careful. Make sure that you are really operating on principle and that you're really paying attention and you're not, you're not just being foolish, rebellious, emotional, angry, any of these things. But you have to be prepared to disappoint your mother. And then you have to pray to God that you won't. I was very fortunate. Please don't make me choose. Please don't do this. We're getting along really well. I said to my parents, please don't do this. And, and then they had to decide whether or not standing strong against my devotion for Jesus was a principle that they really needed to stand on. And uh, I actually had a very funny, I'll finish that. My mother, for some reason, this was all very odd, my mother um, started saying that it was really their fault, you know, that the reason I had strayed from uh, the, tr the Jewish faith, which I'd never really even been raised in, really, was because they hadn't really raised me in the Jewish faith. And maybe if they had been more, you know, involved in the synagogue and trained me in Judaism, then this would never have happened. <laughs> and part of me wants to tell my mother, no, no, you know, this is not at all the case. You don't understand. I'm as Jewish as I ever was. Judaism is part of what I'm doing. Self-realization encompasses all religions. There was so much I could have said. But a little voice inside of me said, let her take the blame. 
And so instead of any of that, I said, oh, I understand, Mother, you know, but it's too late, you know, this is just what's happened, what can we do? My mother said, yes, yes. And then that was it, it was over. <laughs> it was such a perfect, I have to use the phrase, you know, Jewish mother way of dealing with it, which is, I will just suffer and I will take the tragedy on myself and then everybody knows what we're doing and we're fine. <laughs> and I just said, thank you, thank you, God. I saw, just to finish this, I saw a very funny little interplay. There's some well-known Buddhist teacher, because lots of Jews become Buddhist, because there's no Jesus there, and it's really simple. So a well-known Buddhist teacher who was Jewish, and his mother who was about 85 or something, and he had converted his mother to many of the principles of Buddhism, so they're having this little dialogue, and she's talking about how important it is for a Jewish mother to suffer that's just really important. I mean, she's playing the character perfectly. How you have to suffer, everything has to be your fault, you have to feel guilty all the time in the joking way. And now her husband, has, her son, has ruined her life. Because with these Buddhist principles, now she knows how to be happy. <laughs> and she just doesn't know what to do with herself anymore. <laughs> it was just absolutely perfect. And that's the spirit in which I tell that story about my own mother but it actually worked. So Swami says, if someone challenges something you are doing that seems to you right and good, meet the challenge vigorously. Try never to hurt anyone, however. Be always calm in your heart. Remember, nothing and no one can touch who you really are in your inner self. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.